I'm Ken Reckward, and I welcome you back to Mining Biblical Truth. This week, uh, we're uh, delving into Chapter 5 in uh, uh, Christopher Watkins' Biblical Critical Theory book called Sin and Autonomy. Uh, the the word uh, autonomy means uh, uh, is a combination of autos and nomos, meaning self-law, a self-law or a law unto oneself. D.A. Carson said, the heart of all idolatry in the Bible is the de-godding of God. If God is all-knowing, then we cannot know better than him what is good. It's one of the basic messages of this chapter. My take is, would you want to put your trust in a God who is not all-knowing. And Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore, I am, which was uh, symbolic of the, the age of reason. Uh, but we would say, or the biblical response would be, no, you were created with the ability to reason. Then we have the subject of autonomy, dignity, and choice. Uh, Manuel Kant uh, uh, said, have the courage to use your own reason, as was a motto of the Enlightenment era. So the God-man relationship, uh, as depicted in the Bible, uh, we are his workmanship, Acts 17, 24, 26. Our lives are contingent on his ongoing work, Hebrews 1, 3 and Colossians 1, 17. We are created in his image and for him, Colossians 1.16. So this idea of relationships uh, is uh, sometimes depicted as horizontal and vertical relationships uh, because God is above man. It's a vertical relationship, but man to man is a horizontal relationship. And relationships, do re the question is, do relationships define our identity? In uh, the poem Invictus by Ernest Henley, it says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This really epitomizes um, the attitude uh, of the, uh, the modern secular man or woman. And Paul Ricoeur said, said, The self must lose the pretension to be its own creator. Hmm. The irony is, if I define uh, my own dignity, then there can be no objective source of dignity outside of me. This is why the postmodernist person must have others recognize their right of self-dignity or their choice of how to achieve self-dignity. My take is the dignity of being made in God's image is sacrificed on the altar of autonomy. The further danger is if you feel like a failure at creating your own dignity, then others will confine you to the dignity that they choose for you. This is heteronomy, where they uh, determine your dignity, and basically they're placing themselves above you. This is a form of hegemony. They become like God having a vertical relationship with you. So Waka describes this as the, uh, or I modified it to autonomy, heteronomy, dichotomy. 
On the one hand, you have human mastery of autonomy, and on the other extreme, you have heteronomy where you're mastered by other people. My take is the choices uh, are the burden of creating your own dignity or significance or being uh, having uh, your worth defined and usually denigrated by others. Uh, what is the root cause of the critical race theory intellectual movement? I would approach to you that it's a hegemony of heteronomy. Deep down in our subconscious, I think we know or sense that we can never define our own dignity or self-worth. And it becomes an enormous burden, kind of like the tale of the uh, man who was uh, sentenced to roll a rock uphill only to have it come right back down again. And that's really what we're doing in trying to achieve our own self-worth. We become um, either, uh, if people are, are not equal as shown in this uh, image, then they become uh, glorified by man, raised above others, or denigrated by man and lowered below others. And neither one is a biblical concept. So in this uh, dichotomy, uh, it can be diagonalized by the what uh, Walken refers to as Trinitarian agape, which I'll summarize as selfless love of the Trinity. And this is a uh, creative and responsive uh, gift uh, kind of love. Um, and what does it do to these two extremes? Well, if you're on the human mastery autonomy extreme, then Trinitarian agape gives you freedom from self-definition. If you're at the other extreme of heteronomy, then it gives you freedom from being defined by others. Watkin offers a, a complex quote from David Bentley Hart to define Trinitarian agape. My paraphrase of his uh, uh, description is that Trinitarian agape is a selfless love among equals who are unique, but find their essential identity in their unity, their relationship, because without relationship, they would lose their triune identity. This is also true of, of countries. Like in the United States, our collective, uh, our in individual identity uh, is to a large degree de uh, defined by our, uh, our communal uh, identity as Americans uh, but uh, in this day and age that's largely being lost so we could summarize this as no relationship no identity interesting concept certainly goes against the uh, individualism that pervades western culture so Christianity only works when it is defined as selflessly loving, redemptive community. It's all about life together. As Eugene Bonhoeffer said, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It takes grace, and it brings grace. And we get into the subject of autonomy, reason, and power, which is interesting to me. Adam and Eve are deceived into reasoning that they should be autonomous. Here the key question, as far as I'm concerned, is why did God create 
uh, the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Adam and Eve had two potential opposite emotional responses to the tree. Resent its presence because it, uh, it is forbidden or anticipated as a future gift from God. A future gift. Uh, an expanded name would be the tree of the knowledge necessary to choose between good and evil. God said that they must not eat from it, not that they would never be able to do so. To tempt man with something that you had no intention to ever provide would be cruel, like a package under a Christmas tree that could never be unwrapped. I don't think God would be that cruel. So how could Adam and Eve receive the gift of the tree by knowing and living Trinitarian agape love? But they weren't quite ready for that, as shown in this uh, in these photos. On the left is a symbolic of you know God says Adam and Eve, this is what you're ready for, a toy car, uh, and playing around a husband and wife. But Satan deceives Adam and Eve that they are ready for this. They're ready to go fast and luxurious. <laughs> and then we get into the rational, irrational dialectic. Creative things or beings cannot be defined as good or evil because only the creator is outside the creation and can see the big picture, the future results of all possible choices. It commits the fallacy of begging the question. It is appealing to reason as the ground for reason. Or we could say the reason for reason. C.S. <laughs> Lewis said, evil be thou my good equals nonsense be thou my sense. <laughs> it is irrational for us to think that we have the wisdom and power to define good and evil. Definition of a child that I learned in medical school was a psychotic dwarf with a good prognosis, if nurtured into maturity. Maturity of children requires submission to the parent to define good and evil. As God's children, we only become mature through submission to him, holding on to him in trust, like in this photo. So in this uh, dichotomy on the rationalism side, we have order, integrity, and coherence. On the irrationalism side, we have disorder, disintegration, and incoherence. A university student at a forum proposed to the Christian speaker once that we don't need order or coherence. So he responded, do you want a coherent or incoherent response to your statement? <laughs> Think about that one. And I like this uh, uh, photo to illustrate Watkins' point here is, quote, This is the terrible picture of the modern world, an agonistic reality of warring principles that can neither reconcile nor go their separate ways, bound together with one hand while furiously stabbing with the other. The Trinitarian state is being bound together but never stabbing. And Watkins says, embracing human uh, autonomy leads both to hyper-rationalism and radical irrationalism at the same time. Hmm. 
Our great leaders of the past did not see themselves or their nation as autonomous from God. Abraham Lincoln, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And George Washington um, spoke many times about providence. Here, saying the determinations of providence are always wise, often inscrutable, and though its decrees appear to bear hard upon us at times, uh, is nevertheless meant for gracious purposes. So from rationality to irrationality. The more comprehensive the reign of the rational, that it, the greater the risk that it becomes its own end, a self-justifying system detached from human reality and human needs. Hmm. So here in the CBDs diagram, we, we see that uh, the question leads to ideas, but sometimes to surprising outcomes and often undesirable outcomes. My take is that creating order is usually good, but when the rational order of man reigns supreme, it often leads to irrational outcomes. So the solution uh, to this uh, dichotomy is uh, described by Watson as absolute personality theism. Uh, not sure if he in invented this term or not, but I've never heard it anywhere before. It's about trusting God to make the rules allows us to escape the extremes of autonomous humanism. And we have autonomy and the ethic of violence. In the world of human autonomy, conflicts are inevitable and often resolved by violence. When everyone defines goodness for themselves, what is seen as good by one will be seen as evil by others. This is prevalent today. People have always had a different opinions, but now an opposing view is not merely wrong, but actually evil. The contradiction is people rebel against submission to God. But if everyone is autonomous, then some powerful person or small cadre of persons will demand submission to their worldview. The desire for freedom from God leads to repression by man. Think about that. And, quote, being in nothingness, unquote, Sartre uh, recognizes that the autonomy of the individual is the threat to the autonomy of others. When we are characters in God's story rather than, than he in our stories, our freedom is limited. But in a way that leads to peace among men rather than conflict. Watson's suggested syllogism of Sartre's philosophy is that uh, freedom exists, premise A, God and freedom cannot coexist, premise B, and therefore there is no God, premise C. The problem as I see it is that part B of the prop proposition is only true if you define freedom as the absence of rule by God. What if freedom is being free of defining ourselves, uh, relying on God to define us? Autonomy and cosmic plagiarism. What Alvin Plantica calls, quote, creative anti-realism, unquote. I like that. 
the contradictory views of man is that on the one hand as gods and on the other extreme as unremarkable animals. So on the one hand, we can be the source of our own meaning, but on the other hand, we're just as, we have no more meaning than the animals. The irony, <clears throat> yeah, in a term coined by Tim Keller, cosmic plagiarism, refers to how this anti-realism borrows from Christian theism, which Nitsky uh, realized was a fact by referring to his cadre as, quote, godless anti-metaphysicians, unquote. In other words, uh, this is kind of a repeated term because uh, an anti-metaphysician would be someone who was, didn't not believe in the supernatural, and therefore there would be, would be godless. A metaphysics refers to supernaturalism, so it means to be opposed to belief in the supernatural realm. Uh, the philosopher Simon Critchley said, uh, quote, the problem of secularization is that God is dead, and yet we still inhabit theological modes and habits of thinking. Philosophy, which is inseparable from religion and inconceivable without religion. And yet we cannot believe the stories that we would like to tell ourselves. My take is we can't trust an anti-realistic worldview. And we cannot be at peace or have true freedom living in an untrustworthy paradigm. Atheist Richard Russell, in his resolve to live in a meaningless universe, said, Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Really? But, uh, uh, this guy would really be somewhat fun to live with, wouldn't he? <laughs> My take is that riddled with contradictions, uh, if the universe is meaningless, then there are no truths in which any can agree. There is no way that anything firm or safe can be based on despair. How can a meaningless universe support the idea of a soul? James Russell Lowell said, truth forever on the scaffold wrong forever on the throne, yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Keeping watch and also dismayed, I would say. So in these diagrams here, we can see that, that when we hang Jesus, who is the truth, we enthrone Satan, who is the lie. So the problem here is facing up to a meaningless universe. Alan Watts said, if the universe is meaningless, so is the statement that it is so. <laughs> if this world is a vicious trap, so is its accuser, and the pot is calling the kettle black. So uh, making our own firm foundation, well, it's like in this diagram, it's like... Uh, sawing the wrong, wrong end of the branch. We're cutting ourselves off from the truth from God, and there's nothing good can come of that. Maurice Blanchot on uh, living in a meaningless universe, and here I'm paraphrasing, if I hold tight to the absence of meaning, then I must renounce hope, renounce rest, renounce everything. And William Cowper said, absence from whom we love is worse than death and frustrates hope severer than despair. I'm sure we've all experienced some degree of that. 
And so, and, and who are we to love but God, our creator? And on the other extreme, Jesus' separation from the Father on the cross was worse than death. The broken relationship. So the result of sin is alienation is death. The lightning bolt of alienation strikes seven times in Genesis 3. God alienated from us, verse 11. We are alienated from God, verse 10. We are alienated, alienated from ourselves, that is ashamed, verse 7. We are alienated from our bodies, verse 16. We are alienated from each other in the blaming of Adam and Eve, in verse 12, 13. We are alienated from the rest of creation, verse 17. And creation is alienated from itself, verse 18. And as, re, as echoed in uh, by Paul in Romans 8.22, all creation groans and suffers. It's amazing to think how the whole creation suffers because of our fall. And Jackie Lewis said, a great secret pain throbs through nature. So we complained about what's going on in, uh, in nature. And we don't have only ourselves to blame, perhaps. So the means of anti-realism preclude the ends. So you want autonomy? What you get is alienation. If you sow autonomy, you reap alienation. Like it says, we are the source of a, a autonomy that needs to be addressed, both in the desires of our hearts and in the structures and figures that we have created. Autonomy can't keep its promise of the good life because man cannot rightly define what is good. The lack of a shared vision of what is good causes more division, breaking up the family, casting out people socially, and amplifying inequality. I guess uh, uh, apropos that, that critical race theory in an attempt to deal with the uh, injustice of inequality actually amplifies inequality. Uh, Robert Bella in Habits of the Heart said, the irony is that here too, just where we think we modern people are most free, we are most coerced by the dominant beliefs of our own culture. The uh, narrow place is uh, so like our choice, or we could cho or choose the broad place, God's choice for our good. What does it mean to be in a broad place? This appears several places in the Bible. Uh, a couple are Job 36.16. Indeed, he drew you from the jaws of distress to a spacious and broad place, to a table full of richness. And Psalm 118, verse 5, I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. My take is the irrational world where people exist according to their own standards is like a dark swamp with narrow trails bordered by quicksand where it is impossible to run freely. In several places in scripture, God invites us into a broad place, an expansive safe place where we can live with joyful abandon because we choose to live by God's standards in fellowship with Christ. So my question, think about a question uh, is, do you feel at peace with your view of the world? 
if not, uh, is it because uh, a part of your view is denying the presence of sin in all people? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, help us to uh, overcome our desire for autonomy help, and help others to see how dangerous uh, it is to seek uh, autonomy and how it off, uh, almost always leads to hegemony of one group over another. Uh, help us to rather, Lord, embrace your embrace your, your biblical truth, your grace, um, and submit uh, to you in order to obtain peace uh, with, with you and among men. In Jesus' name, amen. As usual, please subscribe or make a comment. We'd love to hear from you either directly uh, on YouTube or uh, or privately at info at biblewinding.org. Uh, there are also... Um, uh, uh, PDFs of the, these uh, slides in this presentation uh, on our website. Thanks so much for watching and have a blessed week.